Welcome to the Kill the Lion podcast. It's your host, Cody Clark. We got a great one for you today. Caleb Robinson is here. Awesome filmmaker. You can watch his films on YouTube, Living with Trevor, Not So Amazing, really funny movies, really nice guy. Can't wait to talk to him. If you like the show, by the way, support us. $2 per month. That's all it takes. KillTheLionFilms.com. You're supporting not just the show, you're supporting the studio too. And now, Caleb Robinson. Caleb, good to have you on. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I uh, I really enjoy your films. I've I've seen uh, Living with Trevor. I've seen Not So Amazing. So I, I've seen your two your two feature films. I I've been recommending them a lot on uh, on Twitter and whatnot. I think they're really fun movies. They're very they're very funny, and you're doing something a bit differently than. I'm doing a bunch of my friends are doing. I feel like you're you're tapping into a much larger uh, budget traditionally. You're you're doing these kind of like big studio comedies, but with your friends, you know, in your in your actual locale. It's a really cool thing that you're doing. Um, am I like describing what you're going for? Where you're trying to do these like kind of broad, very very funny comedies that just kind of like you usually go to movie theater to see but like you're doing it just like you and your friends so it's a bit more authentic and whatnot am i am i in the right direction you're definitely in the right direction yeah um there's definitely a lot of influence from bigger studio comedies because that's kind of what i grew up on i guess but i guess i I, i've just i've grown up on on that style of storytelling so in a way it's just second nature for me to kind of go in that direction with it but yeah, I mean, I guess I guess my goal is to take take the studio comedy format and kind of by the end of my films put it on its head a little bit, like with Living with Trevor and Not So, both movies towards the end kind of take a slightly more dramatic turn than I feel like most studio comedies go in, but for the most part, that's that's pretty much what I'm going for. Yeah, in that way, it kind of reminds me of like the Jody Hill stuff, like Foot Fist Way or Observe and Report or uh, Eastbound and Down. That kind of like balance between, you know, very very funny stuff, but also a little bit darker here and there, a little bit more sensitive here and there. Was that an influence? Like maybe even like some of the Judd Apatow stuff. What 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 stuff influences you directly as far as uh, the kind of movies you make? Um, well, okay. So the ones, the ones you just named off outside of Judd Apatow, I haven't even heard of. So I need to, <laughs> I need to go down that rabbit hole. Oh man, dude, you are going to love Jody Hill so much. He is so up your alley. You guys are going to be best friends. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know if that's possible, but you know, it would be nice in a perfect world. You and Jody Hill are, are mutually appreciating each other and all that. Uh, observe and report. Absolutely. You need to see like tomorrow. It's, it's, so up your alley. Okay. I, I have heard of that. I have heard of that movie because that came out like the same year as Paul Blart. So that was like the other mall cop movie or whatever. Yeah, this was Observing Report was like the dark, twisted mall cop movie. It was it was everything that Paul Blart wasn't, you know, it was it was uh, something else entirely. But please tell me about uh, what your influences are. Okay. Yeah. Um. Well, definitely Judd Apatow. Like, like you said, that's that's one of the bigger ones. I think something that Judd Apatow and me have in common, actually, is the fact that, like, we have a really hard time managing our run times. Oh, yeah. I was going to bring that up. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that for sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And then the other ones, like, goes without saying, but early Kevin Smith is is an influence on me in the sense of just, like, grabbing a camera and making a movie with what you have. I mean, I guess clerks kevin smith would be my would be what i'm going for with that but um the the other ones early also early james gunn is another one super was a massive influence on not so amazing and then i guess my main 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 influence and these guys i would consider kind of like the the original og folk filmmakers they're not they're not in that area anymore but like um, the Duplass brothers are a massive influence on me and my directing style and the way I approach making movies. So 
I guess. Yeah, those are, those are probably my main influences. I, I, I'm influenced by everything I see, though, so... <laughs> Yeah, I'm the same way. It's like people will ask my my influences specifically. And, and a lot of the times I'm not necessarily influenced by things that I'm similar to. You know, I'll be grabbing from from pretty much anything, anything that just kind of I see some of myself in or or, or whatever. But let's, let's talk about the run times real quick, because, you know, we we touched on it when we we start talking about a. Uh, Apatow, you you make some very long comedies. You know, traditionally you think of a comedy as maybe eighty minutes, ninety minutes. You you venture into the two hour plus territory. Do you like longer comedies? Just as a viewer, uh, do you just find that your your films are best suited for longer runtimes? I, I can tell you as as a person watching your films, I've never felt the runtime, so to speak, as I am watching it i i'm not like looking at my watch or anything you know it, it's very funny throughout and all that but it, you know it's it's an unusual choice for for a comedy for sure yeah i mean i definitely like longer movies in general I, i'm obviously i'm a big fan of jed apatow so like i like his longer form comedies funny people is like damn near two hours and 45 minutes and i love that movie so yeah i mean I like longer movies and I think on a subconscious level that just happens with my movies. Both of my, like Living with Trevor and Not So Amazing, both had three hour plus rough cuts. <laughs> so I, I, I make these movies and I'm like, this one's going to be like two hours hopefully. And then I, I'm sitting with the rough cut and I just like, I, I don't know how I'm going to get it down or whatever. And I guess that's not necessarily like my goal in making those movies, but like I've always had the mindset of, runtime is kind of irrelevant pacing is what truly matters so like as long as the movie flows well and you aren't looking at your watch i'm pretty sure you can make a movie almost any length as long as it's not like eight hours long <laughs> yeah pace is pace is definitely everything i mean i've watched three minute movies that feel like three hours and i've watched three hour movies that feel like three minutes you know it's 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 about how you use the time for sure and that's um that's more important than anything, absolutely. Um, so, you know, you you make your films. These are these are hometown films. Um, you're in Washington, right? You're in a small town in Washington. Yeah, Little Yakima. <laughs> Little Yakima, Washington, which is a, a place I had not heard of before your films, but now it's like, like it feels like there's a lot of creative juice going on in that uh, in that area. You've got you know you're making movies. The people the people in your movies are making movies. Everybody's making some stuff. How are you received by your your locale? Are they do they roll your eye roll their eyes when they see you like shooting in the street? Are they like embracing you? Uh, you know, I don't know wh what the response is is like. So tell me about that. Well, for living with Trevor, we didn't shoot a ton of stuff outside of like my mom's house and the other few locations we had. But like for not so obviously a good chunk of that movie is us running around downtown Yakima doing some pretty ridiculous stuff. Um, so I have a lot. I, I, I could tell a lot of stories from that. But like overall, I think people just kind of go about their business. We did. We, we definitely had a bunch of run ins with like cops and stuff. But in terms of just like locales and civilians walking around while we're shooting, there wasn't a ton of like what are you guys doing type of thing that they, they just, I don't know. They saw they, they saw someone holding a camera and someone in a Spider-Man suit and <laughs> just kind of went about their day in terms of like, just how people see our movies here. Honestly, I don't think a lot of people in Yakima know about us necessarily. We haven't really um, branched out in that way yet, but I'm hoping to do that in the future. There's a, there's a local film festival here that isn't really like a, it's basically just a screening place for locally made short films and stuff. And I'm, and I'm considering just messaging them and being like, Hey, we actually have some features that we shot here. Maybe you could screen those or whatever. And so, yeah, I'm, ho I'm hoping we, we can like kind of be heard in Yakima a little bit more here soon. Cause quite frankly, as far as I know, like, me, Gage, Micah are like the only people <laughs> making feature films in Yakima. So 
it, it seems like there's a lot of talent though like it, it seems like you never have any shortage of, of interesting uh people to uh put in your movies um are you is it all just like friends of friends do you put out any casting notices how have you found people for living with trevor it was friends of friends friends and family stuff like that but for not so much bigger cast so we ended up putting flyers all over yakima we made a little video um basically just going hey if you want to be in a movie shot here in yakima feature film comedy let us know and then we boosted that post on facebook and then i think we posted on craigslist also and yeah so that's kind of how we we built up our cast for not so and i'm pretty sure that's probably the route i'm going to go going forward for my next features and stuff so did you have to pick from a lot of people or, uh, you know, what was the pool like? Because, uh, you know, you wonder about places like Yakima as compared to like New York City. I feel like it's it's kind of a buyer's market for me, like as far as like finding people. There's no shortage here. What's it what's it like out there? Uh, it's definitely more scarce, but um, we did for the male characters. We got a lot of people for the female characters. Not as much, but we still had some choices we had to make. I think overall we probably had like 20 people audition and then the rest we filled in with um, just friends of friends and stuff like that. Um, actually, I mean, I want to shout this guy out because he, he deserves a lot more credit than he's been getting for not so my producer and really close friend Nathan. He like is our casting guy. He knows everybody in Yakima and like whenever a shoot would be coming up where we're like, we have this this big like scene in a city where we need some extras in the background or we need a retail worker person in the scene or whatever like nathan would have that person locked and ready to go within like 20 minutes from me asking so nathan is a casting genie in yakima he knows everybody that's great and he's also a very funny performer too he was he was very funny and uh not so amazing so, it, I mean, that's pretty rare. Somebody with at that much chops as an actor and comedian as far as, like, that's concerned and also just a great producer. That's 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 a dream. Yeah, yeah, he's he's fantastic. And him and I are working on some, some like, the next features we're going to be doing together also. So I'm, I'm very excited for all of that. But, yeah, like, that, that's a thing that isn't really talked about with folk filmmaking is, like, and and for good reason there isn't a lot of producing going on i feel like with a lot of folk filmmaking but like with my movies there definitely is and it's and it's an interesting dynamic for sure so yeah you've been using the term folk filmmaking um how did you first come across uh that kind of movement um and do you do you identify as a folk filmmaker what 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 do you term yourselves and yourselves uh, yourself <laughs> you're not many people you are one person and uh how did you how did you come across the uh the movement so to speak uh so for the longest time i i just called it no budget filmmaking and that's pretty much what i call it but like bulk filmmaking is just a cooler name i feel like and yeah so um we met dan lots pretty fast after not so amazing was released and pre not so amazing being released we were like pretty sure that that like we were like one of maybe like 10 people making movies on youtube that are like feature length and then we came across chlorine and watched it and then we watched dan lotz's video about folk filmmaking and realized he had this entire playlist on his channel that had like just a ton of feature length youtube movies so nathan and i started going going through all of those and yeah, I guess the term just really caught on for us and we realized like, this is what we're doing. We're folk filmmakers. So yeah, I mean, I, I kind of just use every term. I like yours too, truly independent features. So yeah, I just, I, I kind of just use whatever comes to my mouth at the time of speaking. Yeah, it's great to be like kind of interchangeable with it. Like how you, you know, you call them movies, you call them films, you call it cinema, you know, it, it's, it's always good to have multiple terms. So you you know you're not just a director you're also a, a an actor you're you know you starred in not so amazing you know you you starred in that movie you know dressed in a a superhero costume how how hot was it in that costume and were you taking it off while you were directing and it was it just something that you were wearing all the time kind of like Sasha Baron Cohen and Borat like 
what what was the extent of you uh in this costume while you were filming and was it was it miserable what was it like so like shooting not so took like almost two years so there were times where the warmth of the suit was like very helpful like for example our big climax at the end of the movie it was like below zero that entire shoot so like i was actually one of the only people that was probably bundled up that night but then there were times while we were shooting in the summer where it was absolutely miserable and super hot because the way i I designed that suit there's probably three or four layers on every part of my body so like yeah it's a very very hot suit when you're in the heat and a very very warm suit when you're in the cold so and yeah i i I wore it while i was directing i I didn't there wasn't really any opportunity for me to go take it off because all of the locations we were shooting at weren't ours we didn't have permission to be shooting there so yeah i didn't have like full control over those sets so it was it was very much like I shot my angle and then I just grabbed the camera and shoot the other angles in the suit with, I mean, I took the mask off during those portions, but it was, it was on me for a majority of the movie. Whenever there was a Spider-Man scene, it was on me for the entire shoot. I think that speaks to, you know, how hard you work on these films. I, I should mention like these, these films are very, there's something very professional about them. You guys are taking this very seriously even though a lot of it is like you and your friends making each other laugh and doing funny silly things you know there's a certain professionalism that you know myself as a filmmaker i can spot that a mile away when i see it and when i see it i get really excited that somebody else is you know working as hard as i am and all that you 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 take this very seriously how how serious are the sets is there a lot of joking around and and how do you keep track of uh you know, especially in a very long movie like you make, how do you keep track of making sure you get everything and whatnot? Because you, you, it definitely comes through that, that you take it seriously. I definitely take it very seriously. I want my actors to be able to do kind of the opposite within a comedy. So like I, I, I try to allow the sets to be pretty laid back and chill to everyone outside of the camera guy, boom guy, director, um, that type of thing. So it's kind of a mix, but yeah, I definitely take it seriously. I, I plan out the schedule of every day. I, tr- I aim for a certain amount of scene shot per day and I'm a shot list guy. I'm not really a storyboard guy, mostly because I enjoy finding shots on set. That's just something that I enjoy doing and it creates a looser atmosphere that I like. So I guess I I do take it seriously, but I'm not super strict. I like to allow basically anybody, like down to a boom operator, I want to allow anybody to have some form of feedback on takes and stuff. And yeah, I try my hardest to leave my ego at the door because if, if someone random on set has a better idea than me, I want to go with it. But yeah, I mean, we, I, me, Gage, Nathan, we, we all t- took it pretty seriously. All right, so you you worked with your your brother on on living with Trevor. Um, was that your older brother that played Trevor or younger brother? What what's your um, what's your relation there? Oh yeah, so he he's my middle brother. I have a a brother that's even younger than him, but I'm the oldest of my family. Yeah, and like that entire movie came from that character that he just kind of came up with. We were we were like fifteen year old idiot teenagers and adam just had yeah his name's adam um he we just had this character that he created that we would mess around with casually and as i was starting to get really passionate about filmmaking it was a very easy like well adam's already got this little goofy character that he's come up with so let's just make a movie about that and yeah but it's it's honestly kind of amazing how he is as a performer because he's absolutely nothing like that character in any way shape or form he goes from that really high-pitched ridiculous voice and and all those mannerisms to like the chillest almost stoned personality that he has he doesn't smoke weed but he definitely comes off like he does he's very relaxed at all times and it's it's really funny to see him go from trevor to adam and back and forth yeah, he's a, he's an amazing performer. It's you know, comedy in general, people I feel like don't realize how much 
work goes into it you know whatever film you're making you're you're working your ass off whatever it is even if it's like a silly comedy and uh comedic performing i i feel like in general doesn't get enough love obviously it doesn't get enough love with the oscars or prestige kind of stuff like that but you know i mean he he puts so much into that performance he disappears into the role to the point where like when you're watching it and you don't Obviously, you know, most people that watch it don't know him in, in, in person. You know, I'm able to completely accept this character as, you know, as, as real for the time that I'm, I'm watching the film. Now, people that know him, when they, when they see him in Trevor, is it, is it a bit weird for, like, uh, people that know him to watch the movie? Uh, yeah, I think so. When the movie came out, there was definitely a lot of, like, like, what from from adam's friends and stuff like every but nobody knew what we were really doing when we were making that movie so when it came out i think it took a lot of people off guard particularly with his performance but yeah like even people who were just shooting it with us who knew adam when they came for the day that they were involved and they were just like really surprised and taken back by (laughs) everything that would come out of his mouth it's a it's a very stark contrast, and when we're shooting, it's Adam is not method whatsoever. It's like uh, action. He's Trevor. Cut. He's Adam. So it, it's pretty amusing. Does he have any desire to do uh, any other acting, or does he always kind of want to do Trevor if there's a camera on, or does he want to do more dramatic stuff? Because I feel like if you can do Trevor, you can do anything. You know, you can. You know, you can do something a lot more dialed down. You know, the world is his oyster as far as acting. If he if he realizes it and wants to do that, what what are his desires in that department? I'm honestly not entirely sure. I do know, and this isn't an announcement of anything, but I do know that like if I ever did decide to bring back the Trevor character again, he's down to always do that. But in terms of other acting, I'm not entirely sure. He's going. He's going to school right now to become a counselor. So he's definitely not like pursuing it super seriously, but I definitely think he has the chops for it. And if I were to ever like write a movie with a role in it that was serious that I think Adam would work well and I would definitely approach him for it. Yeah, it might be interesting to even like put him opposite himself where like, you know, you have him as like (laughs) his normal self and you have Trevor in a movie together just because like, like you said, he can switch it on and off. It might be something interesting to do in that department. Yeah, it's something I would consider. I'm I'm definitely open to bringing that character back. I mean, we brought him back for like a split second and not so amazing. So it's definitely not off the table. So in your movies, you do something that a lot of other folk filmmakers on YouTube do, which is you use a lot of songs that, you know, you don't necessarily legally have the rights to, but because of YouTube's lax policy, you can use those songs in your film on YouTube, no problem. Um, what What are your thoughts on doing that? Is that just is that something that you're you're really into doing? Is are you open to you know doing stuff where like you compose or have somebody compose stuff so that you can release stuff on like DVD and Blu-ray and put stuff out in other ways? What are your thoughts on on that whole YouTube using whatever songs you want thing? Yeah, so. Going forward, I'm done with that. I, I'm still going to use music. I want to try to get the rights to certain smaller independent songs that I really want to use in my next couple movies. But Not So was the last one in that era for me of just using whatever song I want. And I did that for Living With Trevor and Not So because I wanted to make my first couple features with the safety wheels on, I guess is the best term to use for that. Um, I think it's very helpful when you're starting out to just make a feature film and not have to worry about all the businessy side of things and all those like legal intricacies. I think it's a lot easier to just pull up Spotify and put in the songs that you want to put into your movie and then down the road once you've made a couple features like that and that's kind of why i did it i think it's you're more able to to plan for using songs that you actually have the rights to so it was just kind of like for my first couple features i I didn't really want to worry about that stuff and i guess that's kind of just yeah that's the answer (laughs) that's why that's why i went in that direction but i i definitely want to be able to completely 100% own the rest of my movies going forward. 
Yeah, my uh, my feelings are always, you know, I just want to have every little bit of that movie be something that's mine, that I can put out on DVD, I can do whatever I want with, I don't have to get any weird letters in the mail telling me I can't do what I'm doing or whatever. Would you ever do like recuts of uh, Not So Amazing and Living with Trevor so that you could put them out on like DVD or Blu-ray? Is that something you would explore, like maybe, you know, changing the songs or whatever you need to do? Um, so we can get some nice physical copies. Probably not, not the best answer, but honestly, probably not just because for me, those songs are so engraved into those experiences. I wish I could just like put them on Blu-ray and release them, but like, yeah, I don't know. And I'm also like, not the biggest fan, at least for my own work of like recutting movies or re- like I kind of just want the original what that movie was to exist and, and that just be the movie. I'm not at all against remastering them because Living with Trevor definitely could use some polishing down the road and I'm definitely going to eventually remaster that movie. But like, yeah, I, I don't I don't ever really plan on recutting those movies. And obviously my opinions could change. My opinions always change. I'm very ADD with that stuff. But for the time being, for right now, my opinion is yeah, I probably won't ever do that, but that's definitely the plan for every feature I make going forward. I'm going to make sure I have complete rights to it. Would you uh, ever do maybe a bootleg version then, or, you know, a kind of like wink, wink version where like people can kind of, I don't know, maybe you send them like a blank DVD and some nice artwork and you say, Hey, if you want to put something on this, uh, you know, you might be able to wink, wink. Would you Would you consider doing something that's like uh, a little gray area as far as legality? Uh, what What are your plans there? Uh, yeah, I'm definitely considering that. Right now, I'm actually like highly considering it. I'm looking into like some loopholes that I could go around and I'm not by any means a legal expert. So I'm not even sure if this would actually be like, okay, legally speaking, but I've I've considered like, putting up a merch shop or something and making like a hundred copies of living with Trevor and a hundred copies of not so and being like, Hey, if you buy a shirt, I will just gift you a Blu-ray of the movie of your choice until we're out of them. So like I I'm, I'm considering that I, I, I don't know what route I would go through, what loops I would go through to get that done, but it's definitely something that's like in the plans for me eventually. I would definitely recommend the the tactic of doing professional DVD disc itself artwork, doing a, a box art, and then, oops, there's nothing on the DVD. Oh, well, if you go online, maybe you can put something on that DVD if you would like. That 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 would be my advice. I'm, I'm no legal expert, but uh, I think you would be totally in the clear if you did something like that. Yeah, I mean, that that's something I would highly consider also. Um, I'm definitely not going to, like, do anything until I, I'm pretty, like, 99% sure I can. So I, I'm, I'm going to do my research and then go from there with that. But, yeah, I definitely want some form of a, like, really high-quality physical release to exist, whether that be just a case that someone burns or... Otherwise, I, I'm not sure yet, but I, I definitely I'm very pro physical media. And, and that is the downside to how I went about making my first two features. But yeah, I hope to have some kind of way to rectify that in the future. So you mentioned uh, Kevin Smith is an influence. Uh, he's I mean, he's a big merch guy, probably the biggest merch guy in, in indie film. I think early on, Spike Lee was doing that, too. But then he kind of wavered. But and, and then Kevin Smith just kind of ran with it. But um, are we going to get like some not so amazing action figures? What can, can we dress up as your your crappy uh, Spider-Man costume for Halloween? How far do you want to go with it? Uh do you want to, you just want to limit yourself to t-shirts where, where are you going to go with it you think i would love to release some not so amazing action figures i'm not even sure how i would go about that but like if i were to come across someone who knows how to make action figures i would definitely like hit them up about it as of right now i'm think i'm just i think i'm just going to put up like a t public or something which you can do shirts mugs posters i definitely want to release all of our posters that's a big one for me 
But yeah, like for for the time being, until I know how to do the other stuff, it'll probably just be shirts and stuff. But I am working on a merch shop, like right now. It's it's a it's a side project of mine that I'm doing this year. So there will definitely be not so amazing living with Trevor seventh merch coming out soon. Yeah, I'm trying to do similar. Actually, we're we're both in the same boat as far as uh, increasing our merch and and all that we'll definitely have to compare notes and and whatnot as we go and and all that so kevin smith you you like the early stuff you know i it's it's a weird thing to say because usually if you say like um you were influenced by kevin smith it's like oh it's clerks and whatnot but for me when i made my film ramekin i was super influenced by yoga hosers which i feel like i'm the only person to ever uh, make a movie because of yoga hosers. Usually, people are picking up the camera because the clerks are chasing Amy or whatnot. I I, I like uh, you know kind of all of his stuff. You know, there's there's some stuff that's, that I don't like as much as others, but uh, you know, I I like him as a filmmaker overall. Are you more into his early stuff? Uh, how do you feel about his his uh, body of work? Uh yeah, I'm a very big fan of the early stuff. The farther you go down his filmography, the less interested I am overall. But, like, I have immense respect for the guy. And, I don't know. I, I His his newer stuff just isn't entirely my cup of tea, I guess, is the way I would I would say it. They're, they're not bad movies by any means. I don't actually believe in the concept of a bad movie. I'm a weirdo. I think all art is subjective and, like, it's all valid. But like, yeah, I'm I'm definitely more of a clerks chasing Amy. That that's my like comfort zone with Kevin Smith. But I mean, I will always respect and love the dude for inspiring me to pick up a camera and make a movie. Yeah, and uh, are you a big Spider-Man fan as well? How much of uh, Not So Amazing is 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 just you in real life? Uh, did you exaggerate that? Are you are you? Are you a huge like Spider-Man nerd? What what's your relationship to uh, Spider-Man? I am a massive Spider-Man fan. He is without a question my favorite superhero. It's a character that I look up to a lot. I just love what that character stands for, and I always try to like live my life by that philosophy of like always doing the right thing, no matter what, even if it's hard. And that's kind of what influenced the the moral message of not so is like, even if the situation is completely fucked and it's terrible, you still got to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely think Sam is an exaggeration of me in a lot of ways. I don't jerk off to Spider-Man porn, (laughs) but like there's definitely a lot of similarities also. I think Sam takes Spider-Man as seriously as I do. But yeah, Spider-Man is like my favorite thing ever. I love Spider-Man. And what's your what's your golden period of Spider-Man? Cuz I I grew up with like the the Raimi films. Those will always be near and dear to me. I can't get into the newer stuff as much. I like the 90s cartoon growing up. What what's your 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 perfect uh Spider-Man? Uh so I mean I obviously didn't grow up on this stuff, but I love the original Stanley Steve Ditko run of the comics. I'm a pretty big fan overall of of um, Brian Michael Bendis's run, the Ultimate Comic run of Spider-Man. In terms of movies, I find love in all of the adaptations to a degree. Um, there's definitely ones that I prefer to others, but like I love the Raimi trilogy. I actually have a pretty big soft spot for the web movies. A lot of people hate those films, and I really like them a lot. Like the first one, particularly, is like definitely my my cup of tea um and then i really like the the first tom holland spider-man movie i'm i'm a little more like eh on far from home but the first tom holland one i'm i'm a pretty big fan of but i don't know it's a character that you can do a lot of different things with and i mean not so i think is evidence of that but yeah so it's kind of hard for me to pick a favorite because like every single adaptation in its own way is a valid view of that character I was really big into um, the 1995 Fleer Ultra uh, Spider-Man trading cards growing up. I, I collected those when those came out. That was like a huge thing when those came out. 
Are you aware of those? Uh, do you have any of those? Because that's an amazing uh, card set. I actually am not. No, I, I've never even heard of those. But I also like wasn't big into cards when I was younger, so I, I probably just in general wouldn't have known about them. But that sounds awesome. Dude, these cards are gorgeous. These are some of the best-looking uh, trading cards you will ever see in your life. Uh, you're you're going to go on eBay or you're going to look up some pictures and you're going to be like, oh, my God, I need these uh, from my collection. And I, I, I apologize in advance because... You're just gonna you're gonna want them too bad, and you're gonna sink all your your next movie money into uh, <laughs> you know obsolete form of uh, collecting. But uh, <laughs> it, it they're they're really cool. It it's all like you know all the best artists that you would want to see draw Spider Man. They do these gorgeous uh, drawings of Spider Man for the cards, and uh, they they're just incredible. I I can't I can't hype. Uh, that set enough and i hope that me hyping it right now doesn't like increase the price uh you know it, it's it, it's really good stuff um it, it's you're gonna lose your mind <laughs> I, I i'm definitely not over hyping it they're they're gorgeous cards what are your um what are your prized spider-man possessions do you have stuff that like uh is is costs a pretty penny any any rare comics uh what's your what's your spider-man collection stuff um, I don't have anything super rare that's worth a ton. I do have some like a, a couple comics from the Stanley Steve Ditko run. They're in pretty rough shape, so I'm sure they'd be worth like five bucks. But like I have stuff. It's just not super rare and it's not super like uh, I wouldn't be able to make a lot of money off of it if I did ever want to like go and sell it. But um, I mean, I have I have all of the movies on like every form of physical media. I have a bunch of action figures. I have a bunch of comics, a lot of T-shirts and stuff like that. So, yeah, I definitely have stuff. I'm just I haven't gone into the realm yet of of really like rare stuff because I, I, I put most of my money into my movies. So I don't really have a ton of money to spend on stuff like that. But one day, one day I would like to have some of that stuff. So how much did you put into uh, Not So Amazing or Living with Trevor? Um, you know, what are your budgets like for these movies? Um, Living with Trevor costed more than Not So because I was buying all of my equipment. I think I probably spent somewhere around like 500, 600 on Living with Trevor just for all the equipment and stuff. Not So, honestly, probably in like the $150, $200 range because... Is mostly just the suit, the prop guns. I did buy a better boom mic, but yeah, I don't. I try my hardest to not put a ton of money that I don't need to into the movies. But yeah, so so like total under a thousand for both of them. You're a man after my own heart. I'm always encouraging people spend as little as possible making your movies and make a lot of them. You know, just just keep cranking them out. I I don't think I've spent more than 500 bucks on a movie since my first film which was when i had to buy equipment so of course the first film always costs the most but in general i've made movies for like zero dollars i've made movies for like 25 bucks I've, I've made movies for really small amounts of money and nobody watching them is going to know the difference you know they might think they know the difference but they really don't at the end of the day you can you can get a lot of stuff for free so I, I would assume when you're you're shooting your movies, you're not really ever paying for locations. You're just kind of, you know, stealing locations out in the street or shooting at friends' houses. Is that how you do it? Yeah. There were like two locations in Notso that I got permission for, but I didn't pay for any of them. One of them I paid for in like a favor for a favor type of thing. But the location that we shot the final fight in is owned by a guy who own, who owns an arcade and a smoke shop. So I was like, hey, let us shoot there for 12 hours straight this night, and I will make you two little commercials that you can post on your Facebook page. So, But yeah, I haven't once in both of those feature films paid for a location, and I don't plan to going forward unless there's like a location that like is absolutely 100% required for the story I'm trying to tell. And I just, there's only one place that I can shoot it at and, and they're making me pay for it. So I'm definitely of the mindset of like milk the run and gun thing for as much as you can get until someone stops you. 
And what are the uh, the next kind of stories you want to tell? Do you want to keep doing more comedies? Do you want to do more dramatic stuff? Do you want to do horror? I don't know what's uh, what's on your plate, but uh, you know you don't have to reveal plots too much. But what are you what are you working on right now? Uh, so this year I'm taking just the year off because not so just destroyed me. But I'm taking that year and writing my next three features, which I already know what they're going to be. I won't announce them here because I'm not ready to do that, but I definitely am trying to transition more into drama. That is like kind of where I want to be. I started with comedy because I love comedies. And I think when you're starting out, it's better to start with a genre that you know for a fact you can do and be taken seriously doing it. Whereas with like, if I, if I had made my first movie out of the gate, a drama at like age 17, (laughs) Uh, there's a high likelihood of that movie feeling extremely cringy and not at all serious. What, like, I don't think people would be able to take it seriously because it's a 17 year old trying to make a hard hitting drama. So my plan going forward for the next three features is to like, like for uh, what I'll say is my, my third feature is going to be a comedy with some pretty hard dramatic elements. And as the movies go on, they're going to become more and more dramatic. So I definitely want to get to the point where I'm making flat out dramas with some slight comedic elements. I do want to eventually like after that, go back and make some comedies here and there. Cause I, I, I don't comedies are too important to me to abandon entirely, but dramas is where I want to be overall. So with these next movies, is this going to be uh, casting your, your friends and people around your age kind of thing? As you, as you do more dramas, are you going to maybe cast uh, older people, people that you, don't, that you don't necessarily know already? What's, what's the plan there? Do you want to use a lot of the same people a lot? Are you always looking for fresh faces uh, for these new projects? Um, wh- what are your thoughts there? Uh, I'm pretty much a mix of both, honestly. There, there are people that I've worked with that I want to work with again, but I also want to add more people into the fold. One other thing I'll say about my third movie is that um, Nathan is going to be the lead in that. So that's an example of like working with another person, but the cast surrounding him, I'm going to try and find some fresh faces and people in Washington that want to explore acting and stuff like that. But yeah, I guess it's just, it's just a project by project basis for me. If I'm making a movie where the characters feel better at an older, more mature age, I'll be looking for that. If if it's better for them to be younger, I'll be looking for younger actors. So, and in general, are you just kind of writing to your your locations that you're familiar with uh, on these next projects? Uh, are you are you would you ever write something that's maybe takes place place something somewhere a lot further from uh, your hometown? Uh, do you do you have a lot of love for your hometown too? Like, is it is it a place to, that you're really into? And and what's your relation to it there? Um, I love Yakima. I also dislike it at the exact same time because there's nothing to do here. But I love the visuals of Yakima. I love what it feels like. I love the vibe here. So yeah, I definitely plan for the next. Definitely, the next three movies are all still going to be in Yakima. But I'm also not writing off the idea of going and shooting something somewhere else also. But yeah, I do. The way I write and the way we wrote Not So is like we're allowed to like maybe do like two or three locations that we're not 100% sure we can get just to challenge ourselves a little bit. But for the most part, I put sticky notes on my wall while I'm writing with like these are the locations that I know I can get and I try to write around that. I'm a big believer in the famous Orson Welles quote that like without the absence of limitations, um, uh, what's, what's that quote? There's it basically that like the, the absence of limitations creates bad art. Basically. I think limitations can challenge you as an artist a lot and can create a better, a better result because of your limitations. So yeah, I think it's the enemy of art is the absence of uh, limitations. Yes. And uh, I, I definitely adhere to that as well. You know, with my own stuff, none of my movies would exist without limitations. So anybody that complains about limitations is is full of it, you know. You really need 
something bearing down on you to make anything, to even think in a certain direction of a, of a particular idea. You need something that's uh, forcing you into a direction in some regard. And I feel like you've, you've, you've taken that challenge and done some really interesting stuff where like suddenly, you know, somebody watches one of your movies, they're like, what's going on in Yakima? You know, this is, this is so cool. And I, maybe I'm watching this and I'm in some other small town and maybe I can do the equivalent of what Caleb's doing in Yakima. Suddenly there could be an explosion of, you know, other filmmakers, you know, understanding, you know, their surroundings and, and using that as production values to, uh, showcase, uh, their locations to the entire world really through youtube yeah i mean i i would love that i want just more people making movies i think i think there's this really weird idea that like at our level all you can really do is little short films and stuff and i think that's just completely false i think there's a lot of features that you can do at our level that like and, and you've talked about this on your podcast that like hollywood just can't do and I feel like more people should be leaning into that. I think most people have a camera in their pocket right now that you could go shoot a really compelling feature film on. I mean, I always say if you can go put a little bit of money into your audio equipment. But outside of that, like you can shoot on a potato and you're still going to as long as your story is good, you're still going to make something worthwhile. So I wish. I wish more people would be doing what we're doing here and what you're doing and what Dan's doing and what the doomed production guys are doing. I hope this thing blows up even more because it, it's creating really amazing art. Yeah, I have my potato right next to me. It's the, the iPhone 6, and I, I <laughs> shot Attack of the Giant Blurry Finger on, on an iPhone 6, and I think that movie looks damn good. And Incredible I film. I've gotten a lot of thank you. I've gotten a lot of uh, compliments uh, on that film, and you know it just goes to show it's it's how you use it. You know, if I'm if I'm using the iPhone six like it's you know an Ari Alexa or like a Red camera or like a thirty five millimeter, I'm gonna I'm gonna be crying in the corner. But if I'm using it how it wants to be used, I can create something pretty beautiful. You know, you just kind of have to listen to the camera. And, and what the camera is telling you as far as what it wants to be shooting. What did you uh, shoot Not So Amazing and, and Living with Trevor on? Um, I shot both of those films on a Canon T2i. Um, I, that was my first camera. And I was going to get a different camera for Not So, but I sat on it and I was like, you know what? I don't actually fully have this camera down yet. And so I think I'm going to just shoot Not So on it also. And hopefully by the time I'm done with Notso, have this camera down to a T. And that kind of did happen. Notso was like an experience where me and the Canon T2i became one. And yeah, so I'll probably end up getting something else going forward if I can afford it. Because I do want to start shooting movies in 4K. That's just something that I want to do. It's not something I have to do. But... I'd like to do it. But yeah, the Canon T2i paired with the kit lens and a 50 millimeter. That's what Notso and Living with Trevor were both shot on. I'm a big fan of the Canon T2i. I shot Shredder, my first film on the T2i. I shot its sequel, Strummer, on the T2i. I shot a documentary called Rehearsals on the T2i. I love the T2i. I, I That's a camera I fell in love with pretty much right away. Yeah, it, it's fantastic. There's something about it. It just has a... It has a different quality to it than a lot of the other DSLRs. I love how it responds to color. Uh, it's it's very intuitive. You can kind of have this feeling where it's an extension of your body once you spend a little bit of time with it. You know, the image stabilization is quite good for uh, one of those early DSLRs. That that was a life changing camera for me. That's that's the reason I'm a filmmaker today is because I picked that that camera up. And I, I hope people listening at home realize this is a camera you can get on eBay right now for like maybe two hundred dollars. Yeah. So you are you are not far away from your first film by any stretch. If you like any of my stuff, if you like any of Caleb's stuff, that T two I is is sitting there on eBay collecting dust, waiting for you to buy it. Um, wonderful little camera, I would say. It'll get yeah, it'll get you a long way. Like yeah, you you can do a lot with that T two I. It's, I mean, it's all, it's never about the camera. It's about how you use it. And that T2i has a lot of 
potential that if you tap into it, you can create some really amazing images. And how do you handle audio? What's your, what's your audio setup like for when you're making your movies? Um, I can't even remember the exact brand name. It was a, it was like an off-brand Chinese $30 boom mic that we that we used paired with um a cheap Zoom recorder. But like it actually produced some pretty good audio. Well, nobody would know it. It sound your films sound great. Yeah, that yeah. Living with Trevor was recorded on a phone and I mean, the nitpicky side of me, like, wishes that I would have just, like, used my allowance at the time because <laughs> I was still a teenager on, like, a, that $30 mic. But, like, I'm still very proud of the fact that, like, Living With Trevor sounds at least competent and it's recorded on a really cheap Android. Yeah, but not so was on not so was on that $30 boom mic. And, yeah, I think, I think like, you can, as long as you get the mic close enough to your actors, you're going to get some pretty clean audio. Yeah. A lot of it is technique for sure. You can, you know, use a $30 boom mic clearly because that movie sounds fine. Nobody would be like, oh, I liked it, but the audio was terrible. No, it, it, everything is firing on all cylinders. It, it, it's fine. There's no, there's no weak point as far as the technicality of like how it was made or whatever. Um, it's just technique. It's just about using the camera well, using the boom mic well, uh, which you can learn on YouTube pretty easily. You know, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not that hard to uh, figure out. A lot of a lot of the people helping you out is it is it just people that kind of you know learned it by themselves? Is do you have anyone on your crew that's like more experienced? Is is everybody just kind of figuring it out as you go? Because in my opinion, I feel like most jobs as far as crew on on film you can kind of learn it in an afternoon or just with a little bit of practice it's it's really not that complicated yeah um i'm i i feel comfortable saying i think we're all at a fairly similar level um i think we're all learning together still and i and god knows i still have stuff i still have stuff to learn but like yeah i think i think we're all learning together some people might be a little ahead of others in terms of skill and stuff but i think i think we're all catching up to one another project to project. And as far as, uh, you know, producing, I know you produce films as well. Are you going to be producing anything else, uh, anything else coming up that's not your own directorial stuff? Or are you just going to produce your own, um, your own films? Well, I'm, I'm not against it at all. That's always like when I originally made RC films, the whole idea was a label for the movies that I direct and also a roof for, other filmmakers to put their movies under. Um, so like if someone comes up to me with a script that I think is really good, I'm definitely down to, to produce other people's movies as well. I want to do my part as part of this community and help as much as I can. I mean, that's how seventh happened. Micah came to Gage and I with this story that we both thought was incredible. And we were just like, Micah, you need to make this like, let's figure out how to, how we can do that like this summer. And then we went and did it and the movie turned out great. So yeah, I mean, we're kind of in a transitional period right now with RC films. A lot of us are going to be going in different directions and doing our own thing. But Nathan and I are staying with RC films and we're definitely pursuing some people about potentially continuing that that producing other people's movies thing and yeah i definitely want to keep doing it what do you think you you bring to the table as a a producer like what what kind of guidance did you give as far as making seventh because that was a really interesting movie i enjoyed it a lot and uh that's saying a lot because i'm such a stickler for like 90s accuracy as far as like depicting the time period like i'm 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 obsessed with you know the time period i grew up in and like it it was it was such a better depiction of the 90s than i've seen from pretty much anything else you know there's there's a couple little nitpicks i have with it but overall it was way more accurate a depiction than something like mid 90s you know that came out that Jonah Hill movie or or other stuff that just kind of tries to ape the 90s this was a very homegrown i think pretty pretty good depiction of the 90s i would say what what was your guidance as far as producing uh that film well i i definitely helped in getting micah to a place where he was ready to go shoot it engaged it as well but 
to be completely honest, the fact that it was found footage made my job a lot easier. Like there, there wasn't a lot of like not trusting Micah to get it done. It, it was, it was a pretty straightforward, like whoever's holding the, whatever characters holding the camera at that point, just get everything in frame type of thing. So in terms of my producing, a lot of it was just helping him manage the schedules of every shoot, helping him get locations. I mean, a lot of the locations where Micah's also like the house is Micah's house. But it just, I mean, for me, producing on the level that we're at is just being on set and being willing to help in any way possible. And that's kind of what I did with 7th. I was just there and willing to help with anything Micah needed my help with. I mean, I also forced Micah to watch a couple movies that I thought would would influence Seventh in a positive way. I made him watch The Dirties, and that like definitely influenced his directing style quite a bit. But yeah, I mean, it's for me producing is mostly just helping young upcoming filmmakers have the freedom to go make a movie. <laughs> so a lot of it is just sitting around waiting to help where needed. And if the right person came along and was like, hey, I want to produce the next Caleb movie, is that something you would be open to or do you want to produce your your own stuff? Yeah, I actually don't want to produce my own stuff, really. Um, I'm definitely willing to have other people on board if I feel like I'm going to work well with them. For the time being, um, it's really like Nathan is my go-to. He is an incredible producer and like, he if, if if it wasn't for him like i would have had a much harder time on not so there were so many shoots where like the shoot was about to go off the rails and nathan just saved that shoot from derailing completely that guy's willing to kill himself for whatever movie he's working on and that's the energy that i like because i'm the same way like I, I walk onto a set and i'm willing to like completely destroy myself to get the scene so i mean if there's someone who has a similar mindset that i feel like i'm going to work well with and they want to produce one of my movies i'm definitely down to have them on board i'm gonna have to talk to nathan on here soon I, we've talked briefly on twitter he's he's such a sweet guy very genuine and i think we'd have have a great conversation me and him all right so how we end this show, if you've heard the show before, we always do uh, some stupid questions. Are you ready to be asked some stupid questions? I was born ready. I'm very excited for this. <laughs> All right. First question. Who would win in a fight? Spider-Man or uh, Superman? Probably Superman. I, I, I mean, Superman, one of my problems with Superman as a character is like outside of Kryptonite, he's basically just jesus christ himself so i feel like he would just obliterate spider-man unfortunately as much as i want to say spider-man would kick his ass yeah i think i think superman would probably destroy him what if spider-man had some sort of like weird problem where like kryptonite got into his web and he had like kryptonite web what would happen there then I guess the the situation would be a little bit different yeah I mean I guess Batman his his kicked Superman's ass before in a similar manner so I guess if Spider-Man did have access to kryptonite and he was able to like like meld it with his webbing then like yeah I guess I guess the odds would be higher I, I'm not sure I guess I guess yeah may, maybe Spider-Man would win in that scenario <laughs> I just realized there wasn't much web in uh, Not So Amazing. Was that a <laughs> choice where you're like, man, we can't really, we can't really pull off the web, or we, are we just gonna like back away from that? What was, what was the choice there? Well, I mean, considering the framing of our movie is is a person in the real world trying to become Spider-Man, it was, it was just the limitations of the real world. We, we unfortunately at this point in time don't have webbing and web shooters, so. I decided to give him a baseball bat instead. Yeah, baseball bat and web. You know, it's it's just the next best thing for sure. <laughs> it's a very natural evolution. All right, next stupid question. Uh, we see a lot of your butt crack in, in Not So Amazing. <laughs> is that something we can expect going forward in all your next films? Or is that just a one-time thing? So I have made it a thing where like I either have to appear in my underwear or I have to show my ass in every movie I make. So there will definitely be some more ass crack in the future. 
Is that is that marching orders from Nathan, or is that something <laughs> that you're 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 just uh, you're always making sure happens for yourself? I, I'm always making sure it happens for myself. Yeah, I I, I just. I have a very juvenile sense of humor and and butt cracks make me laugh. So whenever whenever it feels fitting to the scene, yeah, just I, I just make it happen. All right. So so fans of your butt crack out there listening, <laughs> you know, there's gonna be more coming, you know, just you wait. Yeah. Is there like is there ever gonna be like an extra butt crack edition, <laughs> you know, that you put out down the line of any of your early films or you know, cause you gotta cater to the crowd that's out there that's just clamoring for more. Yeah, I mean, I might be able to scrounge up some extra deleted scenes or something. We'll see. I don't know. All right. Well that's that's good news. <laughs> you know, it's always good to end on some good news. Caleb, it was great talking to you. I, I really enjoy your films. I'm really looking forward to the next ones coming out. I know you're just going to blow me away like you, you've you been blowing me away with what you've been doing so far. Well, I appreciate that. And I love your stuff too. I wish I would have been able to talk more about your stuff because I'm a big fan of yours. But yeah, so it means a lot. Awesome. Thanks for talking and uh, hopefully we'll do this again soon. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you all for listening, and if you love the show, please support us. $2 per month, killthelinefilms.com. You support the show, you support the studio. Just $2 per month. See you soon.